and we have another opportunity to exalt and magnify the Lord. Thank you, ladies. That was lovely. And choir, you did a great job tonight. Very good. And again, what a tremendous crowd that's gathered tonight on Christmas night. And we're certainly glad to see each and every one of you. I want to start and I want to begin right where I began every single message starting the last week of November, it seems, at least on Sunday morning, Sunday night now we'll pick back up, but in Luke chapter 2 again, every week. I think by now you're probably getting the idea that it's about Christmas, and uh, we're going to look at this just for a little bit today and make a few observations and move along this evening. And again, I appreciate you coming on out tonight and uh, being a part of the service. I don't think that um, you can underestimate the church family. I think, you, you, know, you know, a lot of churches uh, aren't like, they don't do what we do, and I'm not saying that they're all wrong about it. I mean, I debated on whether we should have a service tonight, too. I, I really did. I thought about it. I kicked it around. And, uh, you know, I don't, God wouldn't have struck us dead or anything if we wouldn't have had a service. But you know what? The, the thing is, is when we gather, we're gathering as a family. And I got thinking about that, and I thought to myself, I don't know who I'd rather be with than my family on Christmas. And, you know, I know I have extended family like you do and friends and others, but the truth is this is really, I mean, when it gets down to it, I spend probably more time with this family than I do any other in the world. And uh, I certainly, I certainly uh, appreciate you, and I know, uh, I know that you appreciate one another. And as we gather today, uh, this is a family that's, accepting of one another it's a family that gathers and says well you don't have to look a certain way act a certain way or be a certain way we just love each other the way we are and the way God created us and made us we certainly want to please the Lord I think the best we know how with our lives and sometimes we come up a little bit short sometimes a lot short but the fact is we still have a family to come back to that loves us and it seems to love us unconditionally we're certainly grateful for that and that's the way the Lord would have it so we gather tonight, and I trust it will be a blessing and encouragement to you, and we'll not take a long time tonight, but let me begin by just reading in the book of Luke chapter 2 again, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the first 14 verses, and it'll just kind of expand out a little bit today, and then I'm going to share just a, a simple 14-point message. <laughs> and it came to pass... In those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Now, if we did a test on this passage right now, I think you could answer a number of questions from the passage. Just from us reading it over and over and over again this last month. Repetition is still the key to learning. He goes on to say, And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, from Judea, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, that the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. <coughs> In December of 1903, after a number of attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground. Thrilled to death, they they went to the telegraph office and sent this message to their sister Catherine. Quote, we have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to the editor of the local newspaper and showed him that message. He glanced at it and he said, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He totally missed the big news that man had flown. Totally missed it. There in that note was some of the most... Culturally changing words ever. I mean, our world would never be the same. And yet when he read that particular message, he missed it all together. Oh, the boys will be home for Christmas. How nice. How many folks missed the big news? I mean, of the multitudes of people that were on the earth at the time of the Lord's birth, The majority missed it, didn't they? I mean, they, they, like the newspaper man, missed the real significance of what had happened, what had transpired and taken place. Even as many missed the big news when Jesus was born, in that day, they've missed it today, too. And yet, although a number may miss the big news tonight, we who have gathered here certainly have not. You're not here tonight because you missed the news. You're here because you knew about it. Because it's personal. Because it's meant something to you. The birth of Jesus Christ is important in your life. Tonight, we've certainly not missed the big news. As a matter of fact, ours is a voice of rejoicing tonight. Ours is a heart of gratitude. Ours is a mind of soberness and an outlook of hope tonight. As we consider Him. As we recall our Redeemer, we can't help but acknowledge a number of things about Him as we reflect upon that babe that was born who became our Savior, our Lord, our God, and our Redeemer. So tonight I do want to share just a couple of quick, simple things about Him. I want to note just a few things about that babe who became a man, God-man, and died for us on Calvary. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. <clears throat> Father, again, it's our great privilege to gather in this place. We're asking you to meet with us in a very unique and special way. Thank you for these that have gathered. May our hearts be stirred now. We thank you for the wonderful music, for the, just the choir that sang, Lord, the special by the silent singers, and Lord, for just the privilege that it is to gather with friends and family, for the testimonies that were, Father, lifted up and brought to us. And Father, we just look forward to a new year, a coming year that will avail a number of 
opportunities to serve you and to love you and to express our gratitude. Father, help us to be faithful in reaching a world that's in need of Christ. Lord, may we truly give our best to you. Well, thank you, Father, tonight as you are lifted up one more time and magnified. Thank you for this wonderful day, this holiday that we celebrate even in America. I'm glad that we do celebrate your birth. And, Father, thank you for this privilege it is to gather tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want to note his identity. You and I know it. I mean, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but his identity. In Matthew, of course, 123, even as we mentioned this morning, the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be a child and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. They missed it. Praise the Lord, you didn't miss it. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. We didn't miss it. His identity, he is none other than God himself. And we're grateful today for the Lord Jesus Christ who was born in a manger, who grew to live a life of perfection, died on Calvary, a perfect sacrifice, and rose a victorious Savior. We're so grateful today. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And for that we're grateful. We see his identity, but we also note his importance. We see his mission in the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He came to be a Savior. He had a mission to save mankind. He had a mission to become that which would be an acceptable sacrifice on behalf of a sinful people before a holy God. We see his mission. But then we note his ministry. In Luke 19.10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, indeed, He came a Savior, but it took some work. He had a ministry He had to fulfill. Every day He woke up, and every day He made His way out into the multitudes, and on behalf of the people, <coughs> there He worked, and He moved, and he, he strived with them, and He encouraged them, and He loved them, and He showed compassion to them. He sought them out. He didn't wait for them to come to Him. He went to them. He had a tremendous ministry. And I want to encourage you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to get involved with people. I'm well aware that we have a number of ministries in which to plug ourselves into and to be involved in. I realize there are a number of means by which we can participate, but... If we really want to make an impact, if we really want to make an eternal difference, I want to encourage you to get involved with lives somehow, some way. Even this time of year, I hope that you took a little bit of time to write a note or to encourage a brother or sister in Christ or to possibly reach out to a lost loved one and try to win somebody, try to help somebody, try to encourage somebody. Because people, people were Christ's ministry. It was the people that He came for. The people that He sought. The people that He wanted to save. We see His identity. We note His importance. We also see His invitation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, 
over there, you may know the verse and maybe it's one that you've memorized. But if not, there in chapter 3, verse 20, we simply read, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know, his invitation is personal. I like that. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, what knocking? Where at? Where's he knocking? He's knocking at your heart's door. He's knocking at my heart's door. I know in context... I realize that he's dealing with the church and he stands on the outside of the church. I realize prophetically he's speaking about the last days and the last times. But I mean, practically and inspirationally, we can certainly say that in the life of an unbeliever, the Lord Jesus Christ personally knocks on their heart's door, seeking admission into their life. It's a very personal invitation. His invitation is polite as well. Not only is it personal, but it's polite. If any man hear my voice and open the door. Boy, Jesus Christ is not one to kick a door down. I mean, He stands on the outside knocking. But He won't knock the door down and He won't kick it down. He won't go get some kind of instrument to plow the door and, or to cut a hole in it or to try to pick the lock of your heart's door. He's a polite Jesus. He's a polite Savior. It's personal, yes. He knows what heart He's knocking on, but He'll not barge in. He's polite. He's waiting on a man or a woman to open their heart willingly to permit Him in. His invitation is personal, it's polite, but it's also very profitable. He goes on to say, and I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Boy, that's, that's profitable. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed the last day or so having an opportunity to, to, to be with family, to spend time fellowshipping and eating together and just sharing time together. I look forward to tomorrow. I have an opportunity to be with my other side of the family, so to speak, and there we'll sup together and there we'll fellowship together. And I look forward to that. That'll be a good opportunity. But I don't know of anybody I'd rather sup with or fellowship with than Jesus Christ. There's not a person in this world that can do what Jesus Christ can do for me. Oh, I love spending time with my wife and being with her. And we like to go and I like to do things alone with my wife. And I like to go places alone and sometimes do some things. And even without the kids. And by the way, kids, you can't believe that, but it's true. We really do like to do things without you. I know it broke your heart. I know you can't believe it. But moms and dads enjoy that time sometimes by themselves away and just a chance to reflect and just to remember their own relationship and remember who they were before they had you. <clears throat> long before they were mom, they were wife. And long before they were dad, they were husband. And so many other things. But in spite of all of that and in in light of all of that even, there's no relationship on earth that is as profitable as one that we have with Jesus Christ. When He supped with us, comes into us, boy, there's nothing like it. 
We see his identity, his importance, and his invitation. We also note his investment. What a wonderful thing it is when we have trusted Christ, when we receive the Lord Jesus into our life. Do you know that his investment is personal? Again, I use that with invitation, but I couldn't find another piece, so I finally settled on it just a moment ago. I had to, brother. Because it fits perfectly. I mean, his invitation, not only, not only is his, his, excuse me, his invitation personal, but his investment is personal. I mean, look at John chapter 14 for a minute, would you? John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16, we'll read about four verses or so. Notice what he says here. We won't be long, so move quickly here. John 14, 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. I don't know how much personal, how more personal that could be. That's an investment. Do you realize the very moment you trusted Christ and received the Lord into your life, you were indwelt with the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is none other than Jesus Christ? He lives in you. And He lives in me. Very personal investment. And the Bible says over in the book of Ephesians that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. God makes a down payment on you and I. He is, that Holy Spirit is nothing more than earnest money. Guaranteeing your purchase. Guaranteeing that when Jesus returns, you'll be caught up, as Brother Rigo mentioned. And then you'll receive that new body and that, new in, and that inheritance that is all yours, reserved in heaven for you. That investment is personal. He lives in you. He lives in me. But that investment is permanent. I mean, when He makes an investment in your life and in mine, it's forever. In Hebrews 13, 5, He says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Aren't you glad today that what God invests in your life is something you'll carry with you the rest of your life? And then even into heaven one day, you'll reflect back and realize that you've went from having Him living in you to living with you. You'll never be without Him. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never. But not only do we see His identity, His importance, His invitation, His investment. But as we close, let us consider His impact. His impact is considerable. 
I think of the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, when he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Hold on now. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul the Apostle says, Hey, long before I was ever a preacher, long before I was ever an evangelist, long before I was ever a missionary, long before I ever uh, led people to Jesus Christ and began works over here in these foreign countries in Asia Minor and all around the world or the known world at the time, long before that, I was a blasphemer. I was nothing more than a wicked, vile, wretched sinner. But His impact in my life, the day that I met Him on that road, the day I saw Him face to face, the day I received Him into my life, I've been different ever since. His impact is considerable. It's also cultural. Look, if you will, in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. The book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 1. And we read there an interesting, interesting passage. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. <clears throat> and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out, of the, out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. That's what I call cultural change. Turning the world upside down. I mean, we read about those kind of revivals in history, don't we? You know, those kind that moved into a city and ultimately there, was, there were bars that were shutting down, not because people picketed, not because people went to the government and tried to get their license revoked, but simply because there was nobody to sit inside. Because people stopped drinking. People stopped carousing. People stopped involving themselves in the things of the flesh and in the world and of the devil. And ultimately, they went out of business because the Holy Spirit of God had gotten a heart of the, hold of the hearts of men and women. A cultural change that took place because of a powerful God. Today, we celebrate the birth of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And that babe that was found in a manger did indeed grow to be a man, perfect and sinless. And there he died on an old rugged cross. And today you and I 
are different for having met Him. He's not just a babe to us. He's not just a means by which to market a product. It's not just a reason to put up some lights. He's our reason to live. See, His impact is considerable and it's cultural, but it's continual. Don't you grow weary of hearing people tell you that the days of revival are over? Doesn't it bother you that people believe that God is no longer able to work in the lives of men and women? As though somehow our hearts are so much harder than anyone else's through history. As though we monopolize or corner the market on sin. I can't even imagine living in the city of Corinth, Paul's day, or Athens in Greece. You know, you speak of paganism. I mean, immorality ran rampant. There's political unrest. There was a continual cynical attitude that permeated in that culture as well. I mean, their leaders were corrupt. They too faced many of the same obstacles that we face today. And I believe even to some degree greater. And yet the Holy Spirit of God worked. But we're coming to a close, preacher. The Lord Jesus Christ is returning. We ought to look at that from, uh, uh, in anticipation. We ought to say to ourselves, yes, He could be here today. But what if it's still 300 years off? Do we just give up on our culture? Do we just throw away our country? Do we just give up on those in our cities? Because we believe that we're in the last days and it doesn't do any good to witness or share or present Christ. Boy, I'm glad today that we serve a risen Savior. A Savior that rose victoriously. And the power of the Holy Ghost is still present with us today, available to us. We need only share the Christ that rose from the dead. Elevate Him and magnify Him and glorify Him. And He will draw men unto Him. It is not for me to decide who will come, but only to share He who did come. And may I encourage you to do the same. The year was 1809. Of course, the international scene was tumultuous, to say the least. Napoleon had swept through Austria and was continuing that attack and assault. Blood was flowing freely. Nobody cared about the babies at that point. The world was over, overlooking some terrible, significant verse, however. I mean, for example, while he was going through Australia, while he was making the news, while he was the big thing, William Gladstone was born that year. He, of course, was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. That same year, a man by the name of Alfred Tennyson was born. Born to an obscure minister and his wife. We know that he would one day greatly affect the literary world in a very marked manner. One of Americans on the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes, was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. 
And not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, albeit tragic, life. It was also that same year that a physician by the name of Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Robert. That same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardy County, Kentucky. The baby's name? Abraham Lincoln. Man, if there had been newscasts in that day and broadcasts and CNN and all the different kinds of stations on air, I'm certain the words would have been heard. The destiny of the world is being shaped on an Australian battlefield. But history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. And I want you to know tonight that it doesn't matter what goes on in our world The culture, the world in which we live, can be and will be shaped by those that are born in cradles today, too. Boy, we as parents cannot forget about the one who was born 2,000 years ago, but let me encourage you and remind you that that child you hold in your hands could be the next D.L. Moody. Could be the next Martha Washington could be the next great leader of our country or our movement. May God help us to never lose sight of the significance of that manger 2,000 years ago. And may we never lose sight in the chaotic, confusing world in which we live of the potential of every child that's born into our homes and into our lives. And even those that we find out here all around us that are in desperate need of Christ. May we reach a world with the gospel. May we truly make an impact in the lives of others as we seek to fulfill the will and work of Jesus Christ in the coming years. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the opportunity that we had to gather tonight. May you bless this time. And Lord, again, we're certainly a grateful people. Tonight, we who have gathered have not by any means overlook the birth of Jesus Christ. We are here for the